when I pray, I'm speaking to God and God's my mate. Like he's my father, yeah. but he's also my mate. I mean, as you grow up and you have a relationship with your own father, it does reach a point where he becomes more of a mate if it's going to be a healthy relationship for the rest of your life mm-hmm. where you both have the respect for each other, but also, you know, you, you know, you have that mutual respect for each other, but um, you know, you can speak to each other, frankly. And, you know, I swear sometimes when I pray, you know, there's no decorum. He's, he's like a mate to me. That's yeah. what he wants. He, he wants you to be transparent. And when I read the Bible, I'm, I'm listening to him. So when I pray mm. to him, that sends the message. When I read his Bible, I receive the answer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Running From Comfort. This is episode 26, Australia, what is going on? In today's show, our guest is Joel Jamal. He is a political activist. He is somebody who stands up for free speech and intellectual honesty. Joel has his own podcast, Conversation on Thin Ice, which you can check out. The links will be in the show notes. Now, this was a very exciting episode because this was also the very first ever live stream podcast that I have done. And for those of you who are not aware, I live stream this directly to the Facebook page. So if you're not following the Facebook page Running From Comfort, make sure you follow me there because there will be more live streams in the future. I'll also be looking at having the live streams posted directly to my YouTube channel as well, Zach Galloway. So make sure you're following me there too. But look, in today's discussion, we talked about what's happening in Australia right now. We talked about some of the threats to Australia. We talked about some of the lockdowns, some of the media hysteria, a lot of the craziness going on. Joel also red-pilled me on these Uyghur camps in China, which are these re-education camps. And look, I won't, I'll wait until you get to that point in the show because, look, I will give a warning. It was not something that I really wanted to hear about, but, you know, as Joel said, if we don't bring the evils of this world to light, well, then they're just going to continue. And then finally, we spend the back end of this episode talking about our faith and the gospel and what exactly is going on with the church right now. So look, I hope you guys enjoy today's show. And if you do, please make sure to give it a like, subscribe for future episodes, and share it with somebody else who will enjoy this conversation. Make sure you head on over to Joel's Facebook page, Joel Jamal. You can add him as a friend, as he said. He posts on there constantly. He's giving updates with what's going on in both America and in Australia. You can also check out his podcast, Conversations on Thin Ice. The link will be in the show notes. All right, guys. Hope you all enjoy. Peace out. So at the moment, we are joined here with Jamal. We are just going live at the moment. So I'm just taking just a few moments here just to share the link around. If you're watching and you're tuning in, please do share the link. Um, today, me and, Jam- me and Joel, we're going to be discussing. There's a lot happening in the world at the moment. There's a lot happening in Australia. You know, nobody really knows what's going on anymore because er- everything just changes so quick. 2020 <laughs> is just that year that's slapping everybody in the face. It's like a train that just keeps like it's run you over and it just keeps going. <laughs> I call it the plague year. I think that that works best. <laughs> the year of the plague. Is it, are yeah. we facing some form of judgment? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, uh, some Christians might say it's because we approved gay marriage. Others, because uh, we approved abortion. Some just say that, you know, uh, this is the year that God went on holiday. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows, man? Well, you know, I think the world, it's just an ever-changing place. And I think if there's one constant, it's that the world is chaos. 
And mm. I think especially for us now, we've been living in, you know, such a comfortable time, such a time of prosperity, especially over here in the West. Obviously, other places have been experiencing their own bad times. But we've also just experienced like this unprecedented time of peace. Like we've just come out of the, you know, absolute atrocities of the 20th century. And mm. we just found this nice period. But then it's like all of a sudden, like technology just starts moving quick and the world just boom overnight. And then you drop in um, something, a word that, I don't know, can the word actually still get you banned off live stream? If I say COVID-19, is that, is that actually allowable? I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think that's fine. <clears throat> and you drop I mean, that into the world, you drop that into the atmosphere and literally overnight the world change. The world changes. And as it's gone on, other places have been changing very rapidly. I'm currently based in Victoria, Australia right now. And I actually came across Joel because I saw an interview he did with a guy called Ricardo Bozzi, and I would really recommend checking out that interview. And broadly, I've been aware as to, you know, things going on in the world, but I've always wondered, how is it happening in Australia? How does it apply to Australia? And I've been trying to find people that have been talking about that. And I saw that interview. I was like, yup, that's my guy. And I've seen you've been quite vocal. You've been very, very vocal recently. Um, in terms of a lot going on because the media is framing obviously one narrative um, maybe some stats and figures might show other narratives and you know I think it's I think it's gonna be an interesting conversation you know I'm not sure if we agree on absolutely everything I feel like there's a lot of common ground between us and I think it's gonna make for a good discussion but just to open it up Joel why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself who you are what you do yeah so um, uh, I guess you could probably describe me as a political activist uh, and commentator. I, um, I'm 23 years old. Uh, my parents, I mean, the left like talking about, uh, you know, identity politics. So I might as well say I, my, my dad uh, immigrated here when he was four. And uh, my, my grandparents on my mum's side immigrated here. And uh, they're, they're both Lebanese and Syrian. And um, yeah, I went to a, a lovely school in Sydney. And uh, I live in Sydney still. I love the area. And uh, yeah, look, I, I just felt that uh, these topics, I've been following them for a while. I used to be a progressive, actually, in the 2016 election that I followed in the US. And, um, and then I became a conservative and uh, I've been very outspoken throughout the whole time. And uh, I've, been, I've been an open book. Anyone can look at my Facebook posts. Tell me a little bit about Progressive Joel. <laughs> oh, Progressive Joel. So Progressive Joel was a paying member of the Young Turks. Um, he was edu basically once I left school in 2015, I was very heavily induced in school. And I really, uh, I had this massive gap of time that was just freed up and I had to work out what to do with it. And somehow on YouTube, I stumbled across the young Turks and naturally it all sounded good. And, you know, they, they, they had some good policies like get money out of politics. And, uh, they were very fascinating to, to listen to and learn for, for about a year and a half. Um, I, I felt absolutely devastated on election day when Trump won. I, uh, I watched the full eight or so hours live stream and I, um, I was very, I was, I didn't cry and scream in the street. Uh, I mean, I'm an Australian, but, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I did, um, I did, I did, I just remember that, that day very vividly because the, the live stream went throughout the day for us because it's the night time over there and it goes through the night for them. And, uh, and yeah, and I felt devastated and, I still followed them till mid 2017 and then I, it stopped and I saw a couple of videos. One was from Ben Shapiro debating Cenk Uga, the head of the Young Turks. 
Mm. And uh, another one was of um, Milo Yiannopoulos debating a young feminist at the university. And that was it. That, that was what you could probably say was the red pill. And I realized that, you know, sometimes what feels good doesn't necessarily do good. And mm. uh, you need to look into the facts a bit more. And, uh, and that sort of really turned me to more of the conservative side. And uh, I've been really outspoken pretty much ever since. But even before that, I mean, I was pretty outspoken on the Young Turk stuff as well. And you can see all my posts about that. Mm. It's interesting um, you say that because definitely our feelings can lead us to bad places. Our feelings can lead us to the wrong decisions. And I guess when you describe maybe like the left side of politics, there's a side of politics that's trying to make everybody feel good. And I don't think that always works. Uh, yeah. You're never going to be able to satisfy everybody. But there's definitely things that they stand up for that are right. Um, I guess mm. probably one of the issues that I might take to the left now, just as a preface, I would have considered myself left or right i'd say i'm apolitical as in i kind of just don't have really much trust in government um maybe that makes yeah. me conspiratorial but look i think the problem is left and right keeps people so divided there's actually a lot of common ground in the middle but there's a lack of a conversation between the two sides and we can definitely see that in our modern world free speech is under attack like nothing else and it's like i was telling you before this we don't have to wait for other legislators to legislate against free speech. The big tech companies are already doing that. They're already deciding what's correct speech, what's allowed, what isn't. Um, Indeed, yeah, absolutely. I read an article about that the other day. I think it's massive um, what's, what's going to be happening. And, you know, I'm thankful the Spectator ran my um, article on that and the Canberra Declaration, but it's, it's a massive issue and shouldn't be understated. You're right to focus mm. on it. And look, not to get too deep too quickly, but I guess what's got to be the real slippery slope is moving on from the removal of freedom of speech is freedom of thought. Mm. We're definitely going to be at a time where I think we're going to start seeing some real thought police. Like 1984, I don't think it's going to be much of a fiction. Um, there's definitely going to be technology that is talked about. This is not conspiracy. Like Elon Musk is saying, it's like 2030, we want brain chips. And at that point, if you can read your thoughts, which they have technology that can do that. I remember years ago seeing on the news, Facebook talking about technology where people would write a status or a comment from their thoughts. It's like, you know, this isn't too sci-fi. This is real technology. It's like, at what point are we not going to be free to think? <laughs> like, Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, I mean, I've been, I've been working in, um, in, in Sydney and uh, Australia really to, to secure our first amendment. And mm -hmm. uh, Mark Latham is doing some really good stuff in New South Wales on securing the the freedom of thought, really freedom of speech in mm. uh, New South Wales legislation. And he's actually got a bill um, which is on the floor very soon. And uh, he's getting people to send him submissions right now uh, if for anyone that's in New South Wales. Yeah. And so, look, probably, I think that might be a good time to get started. So what do you think is like one of the most pressing issues facing just Australia right now? China. China is the biggest one. I think that uh, our military capability is laughable at, um, at best. The, um, the capabilities we've got right now are really, really, we've got a lot of work to do if we want to be taken, not only taken seriously, but defend such a massive treasure trove of resources that we've got here. And of course, the people here as well. Um, China, it poses not only a military threat, with its um, radical expansion in the South China Sea, but it's also a economic th uh, threat. I mean, I work in property. I've seen the um, the massive 
amounts of land that uh, Chinese people, not necessarily the CCP, but a lot of Chinese people have been um, accumulating in Western Sydney, uh, greater Western Sydney, and really across Australia. I mean, I've been to Victoria. I know everything. I know all about the blue gums down there. Um, now, it must be stated the Chinese Communist Party is different to the Chinese people. I've met a lot of Chinese people who really hate the Chinese Communist Party, and they, they, I see them as trying to escape the Chinese Communist Party and get their money out of China. However, a lot of them are not, and their interests are not in, in Australia's best interests, and I, do, I don't think they mean well. And the distinction must be made, especially mm. among ethno-nationalists, which we all don't really have much patience for, do we? Mm. And, and, I see, and so you're coming at this from a perspective that like a war with China is coming. Or is or is a, is a real possibility? Well, what does a war look like? We're all we're all a lot of people are thinking about. Um, I know you know this. It, it, then our next war won't probably look like guys with bayonets in opposite trenches facing each other. To an extent, maybe it's going to be more of a cold war and an information war. I think that's more likely. Um, I mean, I was reading an article today about what would happen if Facebook got shut down, and the billions of dollars that would. Um, that would the damage that would do not if it shut down if it sort of went uh, bankrupt or something or and, and it had to be uh, completely liquidated the the damage that would do the danger of all these people's private information being released you know uh, two billion people that use facebook um it would be it would be insane and to the information world it's the world's an open book you know you're you're an open book and the information that could be levered against you is insane. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. So like, you know, when it comes to these big tech companies, you know, we have so much information these days. So, so much information, right? It can really be hard to discern between what's true and what's false. And you would say to a degree, okay, there must be some harmful information, like false information that could spread like wildfire, you know, that could damage people, it could damage a society, what have you. Um, I mean, in that sense, when you have a company like Facebook that's in control of so much information and data, like, do they have an obligation to censor some speech? Well, obviously, they should. You know, they should censor um, violence if it's on. If it's um, if, if people are promulgating violence and saying very specifically, you should go to this person's house and you should, um, you know, attack them and this and that. I mean, you know, incitements of violence. There's no tolerance for that. But um, in terms of um, speech, I think generally it's, it's a public square and it should be treated as such and, uh, because there aren't many alternatives as it stands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess now one of the biggest things I think concerning speech is we have this big worldwide event, the COVID-19, and there is only one narrative. Everything else is wrong. It's false information it's dangerous information it has to be censored and taken off the internet and i i really want to know what are your thoughts as to what's going on right now in this space covid's a <clears throat> geez where to start zach that's a big one um covid's a very complex situation a lot of it's very difficult to find you know reliable information on this so what you have to do is you have to really spread your wings and get multiple different uh, perspectives on what's going on and really have some really reliable people you can listen to. 
I, I've been following um, the COVID coverage from a number of different people. And the best people I, the best really best person I've followed is uh, Ben Shapiro. He's actually gotten 100% correct pretty much. Um, I, he's, you know, where he didn't, he doesn't err on the side of conspiracy theory and he, he's very uh, reasonable when it comes to caution. Um, I mean, the use of masks is a good one. Um, and I think this is, this is for a number of different reasons, but he does actually have old, his parents living with him who are older. Um, but he also has to balance that with having a family as well, kids and, and all of that. And look, um, I mean, it's a massive question, Zach. Uh, the, the, COVID, guess, the COVID situation is, um, it's very complex. I guess if I had to then uh, narrow it down, I guess, you know, you were saying earlier we're in an information war. So like, because what, what we're really having here is the media framing one form of a narrative. And, any, and uh, I think people are starting to see that the media are telling porkies. Um, they're telling lies left, right, and center. They will change their story. Um, my friend sent me just like a screenshot the other day of the BBC. And, and here's one just to give you an example here. And it's like Gandhi statue unveiled in Manchester. And it's like praising it as like this great thing, you know, multi-faith society. We're so diverse. And then like, but from the same article, so sorry, from the BBC as well, students want statue of racist Gandhi rejected both from the BBC. And it's like, you know, they, they have this thing where they tend to contradict their narrative. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of a battle going on in the, um, in the, main, in the different media outlets. Um, I mean, we're, we're seeing this particularly in the New York Times where the editors have allowed their staffers to push them around and even push them out. I mean, we, we saw, um, oh, what was her name? We saw this lovely reporter get kicked out the other day who wrote the, the article on the intellectual dark web a couple of years ago. And that, um, that, was, that was pretty much the death now for, for the, uh, the newspaper. There's definitely a, an attack from the progressives um, on, the, um, on these established institutions. And they're gonna, well, to put it frankly, really kill the brand of these, of the, I mean, New York Times is known as the gray lady uh, of liberty. Um, that's, that's gonna be gone. That's pretty much gone now. I mean, they, they've never, um, they've never fallen as far. I have, I can't think of any other news outlet that's fallen as far as they have. Mm. And I guess, <clears throat> I guess one of the points that I, I'm really trying to get at here is that the media has framed such a narrative that what's happening now in Victoria is that we have our premier Daniel Andrews, um, who is enforcing some very, very draconian looking laws. And a lot of people, would agree with them. A lot of people say, right, we've got the virus, we've got this serious situation, we have, we need a lockdown to save lives. But then the side of the story that you're never really getting from the media is the cost and the damage and the effect of the lockdowns versus what we could potentially be saving. And so what, what, what are your thoughts just broadly as to what's going on in Victoria? You know, seeing that from where you are in New South Wales, being somebody who's a political act activist, what do you think about what's going on down here? It's very frustrating. And um, I listen to a number of different people. Dr. Scott Atlas, um, he's now consulting the, um, the White House in America, uh, recently appointed uh, to help guide their response to the coronavirus. 
Now, he's been very good on this. I encourage everyone to look up Dr. Scott Atlas and his interview with the Hoover Institute, where he kills a lot of the coronavirus uh, myths, um, which is very reputable. At the start of the COVID crisis, um, at the start of wave two in about June, June 5th, you can go back and you can see I wrote a post about, four, I, I called it 14 rules for life. So it plays off Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life um, title. Now I wrote 14 rules for life to in the event that a second wave happens, because this was sort of when things were open June 5th mm. and basically nothing, no, none of the rules were adhered to the government didn't listen to any of them. Not that I expected them to not. I, I know I've got a few people that follow me from the government, but if I could come to the conclusion that these are the rules you shouldn't break and they broke pretty much all of them. Mm. I, I don't know what we're paying them for. You have to ask how derelict are you and what are you basing this off? I'm no conspiracy theorist. And I, I look, I told you, I, I mean, I introduced myself. I'm just a 23 year old yet mm. watching YouTube and reading a few studies. This is the conclusion I came to. Why is it that I've come to that yet people who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and in Dan Andrews case, he got a $40,000 increase in his wage. Why is it that I could come to this conclusion yet? They're not. Yeah. It didn't make any so sense to me. So what were some of the failures from the Dan Andrews government that you've seen? Well, one, I mean, this, these, these sort of measures have, they sort of started coming into effect maybe three, four weeks ago, correct me if I'm mm -hmm. wrong, where they realized this is the second wave for Australia. And it's because it's thanks to Dan Andrews and the hotel fiasco and some of the marches that were going on around Australia. Mm -hmm. The, some, some of the issues with his response includes when he um, didn't protect the most vulnerable in society. I mean, the elderly people that weren't protected is insane. He did mm. not give them any attention. He did not pay attention to what they needed. I, I, described as, I described it as defending them like it's a fortress, the healthcare centers. Instead, what do we find out this week? We find out that nursing homes aren't able to send their sick patients back to uh, mm. hospitals instead they have to say stay in the nursing homes that's the worst place for them to be mm. because i mean if we look at places like america at one point in the state of new york 70 percent of their deaths were in nursing homes and in in the u.s at the moment 45 percent of all their deaths are in nursing homes so mm. log logic dictates you defend those places like it's you know <laughs> yeah it's and your goal it's a treasure trove and, uh, and I know sort of what you're saying there, you know, the old folks, you know, they're being kept at the nursing homes. They're not being treated at hospitals. And I know I was talking to um, one of my old bosses, who's an older gentleman, um, when this is all happening, because I was calling him, checking up on him. And he told me one of his friends that was terminally ill was told by his GP right at the beginning before anything had really kicked off in Australia, said to him, if you get sick with this coronavirus, they're not going to treat you. I'm just giving you the forewarning now. Because he was listed as terminally ill. Um, and I just remember when I heard that, I was like, wow, like we haven't even got one case sort of in Australia yet. And that was how it was then. And I've been following it from since the time information first started leaking out of China in about January was when I sort of started following it. I had to kind of stop following it because it's one of those things that, you know, you can easily get into a rabbit hole. 
a trip yourself up. But I guess, you know, like you're saying, we've, we've, we've failed our oldest generation. And when you look at a lot of the clusters of outbreaks in Victoria, they're in the nursing homes. Um, and it's a shame. They were the most vulnerable. They are who we should be protecting the most. Yeah, it's, um, it's very sad. I, um, you know, I've got, I've got someone living at home who is very vulnerable and uh, the thought, the thought of him being treated the way that they treat, you know, their nursing, their nursing homes is just insane. I can't, I, I can't imagine it. And, you know, it's very, look, I understand the argument where people say they're older, they live a good life. We need to be, you know, we need, we, we have to, you know, sort of be appreciative of younger people and, you know, how long they're going to live. Well, this is in my books. I see it as unnecessary, unnecessary mm. pain that that we put them through. It's insane how inadequate this response has been. I think mm. I said to you before we went live that uh, you know Jacinta Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, her I, I listened to her for a few hours these last couple of days, and her press conferences. Her measures to protect the nursing homes are far better than what you know. It was done in Victoria. Dan Andrews should be ashamed of himself. At least she's learning how to do lockdown better, mm. uh, protecting the vulnerable a lot more. It, why can't you do it, Dan? I, I mean, you look up to her. There's, there's, you know, there's dozens of photos with him and Jacinta. I, I, don't, I don't get it. And I, I, want, I want to get more on Jacinda soon, but I think one of the other things as well I saw about New Zealand state tree lockdowns, which made a lot of sense to me, and I couldn't really see why that wouldn't work in Victoria. I guess what they're saying is that a lot of the recent transmissions has been within homes. But one of the things I noticed when I was reading about New Zealand state tree lockdowns was that you're allowed to have like another like family home or cluster of people that you congregate with. So it's like you have like your own little bubble. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And when I think about it here in Melbourne, this is something that I just think so weird about our policy. And I want to get more into that soon. But the, for one of the reasons you could break the restrictions is to go see an intimate partner, right? But like, say, my parents don't live here in Victoria, but say if my parents lived in Victoria, you're telling me I would not be able to go and visit my parents during this time but I would be able to go see somebody that I'm sleeping with. And I'm just like, come on. Like, like I mean, I get that we, that you're wanting to restrict movement um, and that's the way that they want to handle this COVID situation. But I mean, is really like the only immediate bubble we're allowed are the people we're shagging. Like that's it. Not my family. Well, I mean, in the case of the UK, they even tried to get between you, the people and the people that were shagging. So, um, I mean, we might get there too, man. We might get there too. So <laughs> now look, it sucks. And in fact, being inside is the worst place you could possibly be. This thing dies in fresh air. It's a respiratory virus. You need fresh air. Um, in fact, once the lockdowns really took in, in the first wave of lockdowns in the U S there was a massive spike in cases because of the fact that they were locked down in homes, which is the worst place to be, mm. especially with um, some air conditioning systems that a lot of uh, places have in hotels and uh, in motels mm. and, and just apartments. I mean, this is the reason why the cruise ships were such vectors for the virus because their air systems that flow through the ship are incredibly dangerous mm. and massive vectors of the virus. Yeah, and I have heard about that as well. I mean, one of the early studies I heard when um, COVID was first going around in China was one where it had spread in a restaurant to all these people and what they'd found was the particles was in the air conditioning ducts. Um, but I guess 
I've kind of lost what I wanted to say there. <laughs> this is a funny point. <laughs> um, no, because I, I had a point that I was going to get onto there. Um, New Zealand, bear with me. Was it the fact, the fact that you were in New Zealand and the family was locked inside. Um, no, but look, I, I guess maybe, maybe look, just, just in the interest of it, I might, I might get onto my next point, which was some of the measures that we're implementing in Victoria, right? I don't necessarily disagree with if there's a deadly virus that maybe we should restrict our move. Maybe we should look down a little bit. I can see there is logic behind that. But what gets really concerning is when we have a curfew, there's police and military on the state there's mandate there's mandates like i look i can agree that wearing a mask can be a good thing to help stop the virus although minimal and i guess for other people it's more about you know feeling safe around other people but for that to be mandatory for us to have a curfew for there to be police and military on the state for there to be a state of disaster so police can literally do anything they want this really concerns me and I've, I've tried to speak up a little bit, share various things of what's going on here. And what I'm getting told from people is, well, you know, you just need to comply, stay out of trouble. You're going to be fine. It's like, well, hang on. You're not even here for one. Like you're not living in this right now. And I'm not trying to complain about these circumstances too much because I'm very grateful for everything about life. And I've still got a lot of good things going for me in a time where a lot of people are struggling. But I guess what I'm saying is I find it really concerning when governments can just restrain us so much so quickly and what's your thoughts seeing some of these measures being implemented here from new south wales i i I think it's insane um the fact that there's these measures are going through i mean it's it's unconstitutional you can't restrict the people to this Mm. extent in fact in a couple weeks i'll have the uh New South Wales Solicitor General in um, for an interview and I can't wait to ask him some of these questions because it, it some of this is just never has a premier had this much power mm. over people in terms of technology and in terms of the, what they can do is insane. And mm. this is, it's, it's not right. I mean, we, we can't even protest when the black lives matter protest was shut down. Everyone was cheering and I was like, hang on guys, we only a few weeks ago, we were trying to do anti-lockdown protests. Are mm. they going to use the same thing on us? Yes. But people, people as, and this goes back to the opening that you said, people are so, you know, tribalism always wins. That's the mm. thing. And it's funny because it's, you know, together we stand, divided we fall. Yeah. And we have a lot of division in the world um, and I can see it from a lot of different angles and, you know, it literally, it's like the Bible tells us this and what does say, what, what does Satan do? Divide and conquer. And that's, and I think a lot of that is what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of division. So one of the things I wanted to talk about with you was this video that was circling around Facebook and YouTube and social media of this girl in the Melbourne CBD being choked by a police wow. officer. And I just yeah. found this disturbing. Now you can see that obviously she's not completely complying with police at the beginning of the video, but we don't know what the initial interaction is. But what we do understand is she's being pulled over because she's not wearing a mask. Um, we later find out in the video, she had an exemption. It doesn't appear the police officer knew about the exemption beforehand. Um, she might've been refusing to, you know, give up her details to the police. But the point is we're talking about something like a mask, a face covering. And, we're also talking about something that warrants a $200 fine here in Victoria at the moment. 
And this police officer literally grabs her like by the throat, takes her to the ground. And then he stays on top of her with his hands still around her neck. Now she might not be choking her fully, but his hands are like on her neck, on her throat. Like, you know, you grab anybody like that. They're getting uncomfortable, getting discomfort. And it's just like, this is the level of police power that you get under a state of disaster because that's part of the reason of declaring a state of emergency and now in Victoria state of disaster is you give the police more power you also give yourself more power because the executive just gave itself more legislative power when you go into these high states emergency but getting back to the point here a lot of people were like good on that police officer don't take shit this girl should have you know known better oh she's being a rat bag she's being this and it's like well hang on a second are we making it acceptable for police officers to grab people around the throat for $200 fines? Like, do you want that? Like, what if, it, what if you got a parking fine in the Melbourne CBD, which is like 130 bucks and a police officer's nah, oi, fuck you. And just grabs you by the throat and wrestles you to the ground. Like, <laughs> oh, it's insane. What happened to defund the police? I said it to you before we came on. Um, the, the very same people that are saying, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. You know, he should have been rougher with her or this or that. The same people, I bet they were the people protesting the Black Lives Matter protest. I really do. The, mm. the, fact that, the fact that these people think that it's fine for the police to have, you know, to be defunded and then that they also have to be the ones that have to enforce these draconian laws, it just, the mask has slipped, guys. The mm. mask has slipped. You have no principles. Although I don't think defund the police is quite as big a movement over here. I could be wrong. Uh... <laughs> If you, if you gave them a wish at the time, I think that's what it would have been. Mm. I mean, we were talking about 240 something deaths that we're saying in prison, yeah. police officers, they really had to make a stretch and just into price completely debunked that, but no mm. people still, it's about how they feel. They want to be a part of America. Everyone wants to be like America, put some black boxes on their Instagram page, you know, which mm. led to the, which led to the defunding of 139 police precincts. That didn't help mm. anyone. I'm, I'm really curious as to how many people are fully aware of the Marxist agenda behind that. And not that that's a conspiracy. It's on their own website. I wonder how many people are actually aware of what they truly stand for. And if they knew everything that they stood for, that they literally list on their website, would you still defend it? Because they put themselves in this really nice spot where it's like you to be against them is racist. <laughs> like they've made, like they, they put themselves in a spot where it's almost, they're, they're almost untouchable. It's, I mean, um, it's genius. Um, the cultural Marxists have been wanting something like this for ages. <laughs> you know, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about stuff like this in the past and you know what he's, what he likened it to. He likened it to terrorists who store their weapons and their bases within schools, within mosques, within, you know, just places like hospitals, because if you attack them, then it's like, oh, the, uh, you know, this country just attacked the hospital. This country just attacked the school, you know? See, what, this is the same reason why I can't, you know, it, they, they call you a racist if you attack Black Lives Matter. Because they ask you, don't you think Black Lives Matter? And I'm like, of course I do. But Black mm. Lives Matter doesn't just mean Black Lives Matter. It's a, it, 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 they, they're calling for reparations. They're the same group that led to hundreds of black deaths in these communities. Hundreds, possibly thousands of deaths, mm. actually. I mean, police officers is insane. Yeah. And I mean, some of the places that funds them. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Um, 
I don't think I want to go too deep there, but I think going back to this, yeah, I'm sure you're very familiar with the idea of the Imago Day. No, actually, what's that? The image, the image of God. Imago Day. That, no, I think that's it. the Latin for it. Uh, uh, maybe yeah. I might have gotten that wrong. But the Imago Day, the image of God, because I really think that this is a concept that society needs. And I really think it's a concept that could save society. And that is that you are made in the image of God. So you are of intrinsic value and everybody else around you is of that same intrinsic value. And if you were to truly believe in God and who he is and to believe that you are made in his image to be like him and you see the other people around you, how could you prejudice hate? you know, any of these things to that person, you would realize the equality within you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that's a Christian, that's a Christian concept. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's with that concept that we did a number of different things around the world when, um, you know, the same things that people say the West is terrible for. We abolished slavery with that concept. William Wilberforce, who was the one that, uh, really push for the getting rid of slavery. William Wilberforce was using scripture to argue with other Christians that slavery is wrong. People forget these things, you know, and this is, this is, this goes back to the opening of when I said I was a progressive and I, and I got out of it. It's because there's more to the story. You know, this is why people become more conservative as they get older because it's progressivism is really easy to get stuck on. If you don't know anything about the world, you don't have mm. much experience about the world. And that's why most people, I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard of Thomas Sowell. He's a very prominent um, economist in America, very prominent. Um, he's written like 50 something books. Um, he used to be a progressive once upon a time. Mm. And, and, you know, it's not unusual to have that, but uh, you will eventually grow out of it. It's just the nature. Mm. And it's, it's very interesting because I guess, you know, it's attractive because when, in the progressive sort of movement, it's like, hey, the reason why your life is shit is because you're a victim, nothing else. So now, radical political change, flip the script upside down, revolution, let's go. Like, yeah. like if, they, if they had a mantra, it'd be something like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and if conservatives had a mantra, it would be steady as she goes. Doesn't sound that attractive, you know? No. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like progressives, it's, uh, you know, let's go do it. Let's go get them. Let's, let's, let's flip the table. You know, it's very attractive to a young man that has nothing else to do, especially during COVID, lost his job, um, mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and they don't know anything about history. So very easy to happen. Every, everybody's like so afraid of the far right. But it's like, I, how afraid are you of the progressive left? Like, that's a, that's a good question. I think many people ask themselves yeah. that question because the left, yeah. they get you in with one thing. And then like, right, well, now you're for that. You also have to be for this, 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 and this, or you're racist, sexist, yeah. bigoted, whatever, what have you. They'll call exactly. you every name under the sun. Yeah, the far right in Australia is not even a, well, the real question is what is far right? Let's say ethno-nationalist, you know, they've got a, you know, a strong Nazi sort of, you know, tie and uh, the, 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 the identity politics of the right. We can all, we can all put that in a box and say, okay, that's too far. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go too far like that. You can probably count those people on like, you know, there's probably less than a hundred in New South Wales. There's, they, mm. They've got no real political power. Um, but the, there's no, there's none of that for the left. When does the left go too far? No one's mm. really given it that much thought, even though a hundred million people have died from it in the last hundred years. 
Mm. And I, I guess for those of those who don't know what you mean, you say 150 million deaths, you're referring to Maoist China, you're referring to the Soviet Union. Yeah, that's 100 million people. So that's, um, that's yeah, Maoist China. We, we, we literally, we've got estimates, rock bottom estimates, like, you know, like 20, 30 million, up to like 50 million in just China. Uh, and, you know, the same goes for the Soviet Union. It was anywhere from 20 to 50 million. We don't know because mm. it's starvation and, and everything. See, I don't know everything about the world, but what I think happens is these things occur when you take away the intrinsic value of life and instead you pedestalize this idea of the collective. And, mm. you know, it sounds like, you know, being more individualistic about life maybe sounds more selfish on the outset, but I guess in reality, you know, you make yourself better, you make your family better, you make your friends better, you you build a business, you make a community better, you can make the world better. Um, but when you're constantly, I guess, in a situation where the viewers know we always need to make sacrifices for the collective, a lot of people are going to just, well, it doesn't matter. Like, just die. Like, you know, we, we, we need to push for this greater thing. So you just die. That's okay. Your life means nothing. You're just a monkey floating on a piece of rock. <laughs> yeah, it's a dangerous way of thinking. I mean, I think that that opens the way to nihilism and people not believing in anything and uh i mean what's the point in living in that in that case mm. but i guess going back to now and i say i want to get back into jacinda you know yeah, we've sure. just seen of course new zealand has gone back into lockdown and i think one of the things people don't realize in just being like yeah let the government do everything they need to and enforce all these draconian measures to fix everything that's fine you realize that the way the lockdown system is going to work is we're kind of constantly going in and out of lockdown. Like even now in Melbourne, we've gone in stage four, how many businesses have closed their door for the last time, right? They're not, they're not like, we're going to get out of this. So many businesses won't be able to reopen. And then the ones that managed to just scrape through what's going to happen for the next lockdown and the next one. Um, and we, and you know, people that don't think it's going to happen, you know, New Zealand just overnight, hundred days, no cases, boom, back on lockdown. I think we might only be a few weeks away from seeing a New South Wales maybe going on lockdown again. Who knows? Well, it doesn't seem to be taking a hold in New South Wales as much as it did in Victoria, which is good. Um, yeah, the, 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 the whole Victorian case was, in, it was, was far, rather insane the way it blew up. Mm. Um, I think we've had a million, just today we, 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 we tipped over a million jobs lost officially. Um, and I've taught, I mean, this last week I've, I've been to two bars in Sydney, one in, in, a, in the inner city, um, and one in, um, in Parramatta, which is the second CBD of Sydney. Hmm. And there, they said, if we go into lockdown again, it's, it's over for the businesses. We're not coming back. We, we just can't do it. I mean, the, 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 the things were bustling once we opened up in around about June, uh, hmm. maybe May. But they can't do it again. Um, they're they're going to cop it again. And, you know, it's self-induced, you know. The government, what they're doing is <laughs> they're breaking your leg with this response to the coronavirus. Mm. And, uh, and they're throwing you a, um, a lifeline by, um, you know, despite the fact that they caused the problem. I guess my only fear is how much of this power, you know, by the, by the time we come out on the other end of corona, how much of this power are they really going to roll back? And 
what are some of the new things we're going to see? I think we're definitely moving into a surveillance state. Um, you know, they're already showing on the mainstream news that new AI technology, I don't know if you've seen this, that tracks and makes sure those people are social distancing. I mean, it's going to be a crazy world that we're going to be sort of walking ourselves into. And I think that's why it's an importance to be able to speak and to be able to have free speech and be able to have conversations like this so we can maybe address some topics going on because I think a lot of society is not fully ready for the level of change that we could be about to go into. And I mean, what do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, big tech's a massive problem. Um, I thought you wanted this to be a positive conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll end on a positive note. Don't worry, but things have to get worse before they get better guys. That's one of the fundamental That's truths right. about life. So what, do you want to, what's, what's that Batman line? line? The, uh, the night is darkest before the dawn. Yeah. Um, now look the um the draconian measures I, I i think a lot of them will be given up but there are some long-standing ones which will not be uh the asio laws that have been that pretty much being passed uh, in parliament are very very scary i mean mm. the people i mean people like ricardo you would have heard him speak about it in my interview he's warning mm. that they could be taking your kids away from you if you haven't been vaccinated mm. which is a very scary thing. i mean you lose your kids that's game over for you know you can't fight back They've got, they've got, you know, hostages. Some might say that as hostages, if they control your kids. Um, the the mass surveillance state is is crazy because, as much as I battle with the conspiracy theorists, I, I keep them close. I do have a respect for the conspiracy theorists because this is their year. They have been right on so many damn things, <laughs> which has been saying. I I've I've known Ricardo for a, over a year, a little over a year now, and I'd often have conversations with him like we're having now. And he, just to give you an example of a conspiracy where I thought it was absolute crap, but he ended up being 100% right on it. These Uyghur camps in China, he told me that the, the camps are there for organ harvesting. Not only organ harvesting, but they're, like this is one of the benefits of the camps for the Chinese, but also halal organ harvesting. Do you know what that means? No. So... In Islam, mm. because these are, these are Muslim camps, Uyghurs are sort of a brand of Muslims, mm. in these camps um, are full of Muslims. Now, there's this thing called halal and yeah. haram in Islam. Halal is food you can eat. Haram is food you can't eat. Now, when I say halal organ, what does that mean? That means that the organ that is given to someone from someone else is from another Muslim. So what I'm saying is that these organs in these camps are being given to other Muslims, probably outside China, for a very exuberant prices because they're from other Muslims. They're halal. Now, he said this to me a year ago, and I didn't believe it. And then early this year, we quickly realized, oh, my gosh, they are organ harvesting, and we know who they're selling them to. And... and Wait, so when yeah. you say organ harvesting, you're talking about like human organs, like human organs. These are these are these are people in camps in 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 uh, in China. Anywhere from one to two million people in these camps being re-educated out of being Islam uh, Muslims, and I was I was just as shocked when I figured, oh, this guy's this guy's right, um, and and this is this is why I keep the conspiracy theorists close because often they're right. And um, this is the, this is their year. It's an insane year. I mean, we've already seen 
what what the, what the Pentagon's been saying about UFOs. They, they, yeah, nobody cares about the UFOs. So I've <laughs> yeah. got a bit of shock still. You've just absolutely red pilled me uh, as to what's oh, going yeah, on yeah. in China. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I was a bit yeah, unaware yeah. of this scenario. So I'm a little bit like, ooh. Well, the part where you said they're um, murdering people for their organs. Well, they're not murdering them. They're just taking them. Um, and if, if someone gets murdered, if they, they refuse to um, convert to, you know, worship Maoist China or President Xi, then um, that's it for them. They'll take their organs. I mean, we, we already know they've just If you look up um, tons of hair coming out of China, you will see articles come out. Uh, I mean, if you search up Majid Nawaz, he's a Muslim in the UK. He speaks on LBC radio. He has his own show. He's been speaking about the Uyghur camps massively. He even went on a hunger strike um, in in uh, last month to to raise 100,000 signatures to get a conversation going in Parliament in the UK, which he did. He actually mm-hmm. was very successful in that. And the Uyghurs are... Um, I, th- I think there was they were selling tons of this of their hair over to the US, which is insane. And then people realize, hang on a sec, this is real. This is synthetic. Um, where is it coming from? <laughs> and mm. then we realize it's coming from these camps. Um, I, I, I laugh because if I didn't laugh, I'd cry. Uh, what's happening in these camps That's is absolutely devastating. insane. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to kill the podcast. No, okay. but but look, no. in order in, in order to you know, in order to, to get up over these things, we've got to put the facts out there and not sugarcoat them. This is what's happening and worse. And I think that's, that's a fundamental thing about life. Like, you know, Jordan Peterson used to say, you know, life is suffering. So that's something you have to accept. It's not like that's his original quote, but I think one of the other things to come to terms with that I think a lot of people are very unaware of is yeah, life is also very evil. Like there is straight up legitimate evil in the world. It's a fact people want to turn a blind eye to it. Some people are broadly aware of some evils. Some evils are done more under the rug. And I look not to get too conspiratorial or anything like that. And, but as for me being a Christian, like when I kind of see what's going on in the world, like I'm like, Oh yeah, we're living in a time like very well described sort of in the Bible. And if you want to take a biblical worldview, it, it kind of gives you this framework of saying, Hey, yeah, there is evil in the world. It's giving you that perspective to get ready to deal with it. And it's like, so, now God's here, he's by your side and he's going to deliver us out of that. But then of course, on the flip side of that, the world's going through this thing. And I think the interesting thing about what's going on in the world, you know, the way the media is getting caught out in its own lies and people are starting to wake up to that is that evil ultimately eats its own tail. And I guess when people say, well, why does something like the end of the world as described in the Bible have to happen? Like Armageddon, the whole world's destroyed. um, And then a new heaven and a new earth is made. And I think people say, why does that need to happen? And I think part of the reason is God is just letting evil run its course. And in a way we're living through that right now. Yeah, you might be right. I don't think we're in the end times. I'll be honest with you. I think we're in the season, but I don't think we are spiritual. I mean, Christian, if we're talking in in terms of Christianity, I don't think we're technically there yet. Mm. Um, I think things can get much, much, much worse. Uh, 2020 is just a year where we've tasted a little bit a little bit of a decrease in GDP and mm. a few deaths, you know, uh, about, uh, you're not even, not even the same amount of deaths as we got from the flu in 2017. So I'm not that worried about that. I am worried about our loss of purpose, our loss 
of who we are, as you alluded to. I mean, Christianity, as you said, it, uh, it gives us a frame of, of uh, understanding to understand the world that it is suffering. And, uh, you know, and look, this is why things have gotten so bad. It's the fact that good men have allowed evil to triumph. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And, you know, last, last week I interviewed Dr. Con Cafetaris, who's been spearheading the, um, the religious freedom stuff in uh, New South Wales and also on a federal level. And I think we pulled this graph up three times during the interview. The churches have been failing us. The leaders of our churches are, how do I say this? They have no testicular fortitude. They don't. Mm. They just they just don't. And this is why things have gotten so bad. And this is why so many people have been leaving the churches. And, you know, it hasn't just been happening in the churches. It's been happening in the mosques. It's been happening in the synagogues. There's no moral center. And people have been, uh, you know, allowing their leaders to lead them into these terrible sort of situations. And I think there's a big awakening going where people are realizing, I have to do it myself. And that's why there's this rise of so many podcasts, you might even yeah. say. Yeah, because I suppose some of us out here, we want to speak more as to what we see. And, yeah. you know, when you're saying there's a big failure in the church, I think the biggest failure in the church is that they stop preaching the gospel. Yeah. yeah they, I think it was. A lot I of churches right. don't preach like the true gospel. And that's the core fundamental message of Christianity. Without that, it doesn't work. And, a lot, you got a lot of churches these days, they trick people into this idea that God's this wish fulfiller and you go to church and you pray and God makes all your wishes come true and you don't sin and he lets you into heaven. And it's like yeah. in this distortion of the gospel, we've created a version of Christianity that, you know, it still has some print, some of the principles there because I think God's laws work. And when you follow God's laws, naturally rewards follow you, but it doesn't have the core fundamental fundamental message there and without that it loses its framework it loses its foundation and you begin to see a failure in the church and then i think as well because of that you know if if you're going to say the christian church is the church of the true and living god in a failure of the church you ultimately then will see a failure in the state yeah well i mean the church is a cultural institution um it shapes people's uh it really helps with mental health I mean, before we had all these charities and all these government handouts and, um, you know, you know, uh, schemes to help people met with their mental health, we had the churches. The churches were giving way more um, sort of uh, money to people back in the day. And they were doing a lot that people, individual and donations were way better way of doing things rather than government handouts. It was more direct. You could hold the people accountable. I mean, the Jewish community do this very well for each other. Mm. I've, I've heard Ben Shapiro talk on this and he said, if someone in our community needs help, then, you know, someone will mention it to the leader of the synagogue and they'll, and they'll, they'll say it in the, they'll say it in the service and uh, people will give money and that man will eventually have to pay it back. And there's that obligation, you know, that they, 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 they'll feel obligated to pick themselves up. They'll be very grateful. They'll be held accountable and they'll pay it back. And that's, that's a really good way approach of doing it because it's community based and it's more direct. When you throw your money into a pool, you don't even get the gratification of helping someone. Um, mm. You know, in Christianity, we're, we're told that you shouldn't let your left hand know what your right does. Um, mm. You shouldn't, you shouldn't go telling people what you've done, but in terms of fueling a social fabric, we've completely demolished 
that aspect of our of the of our giving uh, that, mm. that nature because there is a gratifying feeling that you get when you give well giving does feel really good and you know it says that you know blessed are those like well, i can't think of the verse but you know it's better to give than to receive is more, yeah. more also the context of that verse and i think that's actually quite intrinsic of our nature because i think our god actually is a very giving god and that uh if you develop a relationship with him then you know he is he will sort of bless your life and sort of keep you in abundance. Now, to what degree you're not promised like a perfect life, but I think that's brought over into our nature too. When we give to other people and we give freely for no other reason, other than just to, you want to do something nice for somebody or, you know, you want to help somebody in need. It is a really gratifying process. Um, that you are right. And it's, it's very easy to, you know, said, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. It's very easy to want to, gloat about it and get clout and be like, yeah, you know, I did all these great things for all these people. <laughs> and I, I think yeah, then, you absolutely. know, what, what, I'll, what uh, my man JC Jesus says when he's, you know, people will come to me and they'll say, you know, let me in, you know, I did all these great things in your name and you say, depart from me for you never knew me. And I take that to meaning as in like they did the good works, but they didn't actually have the change of heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, works are good faith is good but you need both of them and you need to have a relationship with jesus i mean he's not a uh, you know he's not a, a tooth fairy and he's not um he's a very relatable guy when I, I mean when i pray i pray every night i read my bible every night when i pray i'm speaking to god and god's my mate like he's my father yeah. but he's also my mate i mean as you grow up and you have a relationship with your own father it does reach a point where he becomes more of a mate if it's going to be a healthy relationship for the rest of your life mm. where you both have the respect for each other, but also, you know, you, you know, you have that mutual respect for each other, but um, you know, you can speak to each other, frankly. And, you know, I swear sometimes when I pray, you know, there's no decorum. He's, he's like a mate to me. That's yeah. what he wants. He, he wants you to be transparent. And when I read the Bible, I'm, I'm listening to him. So when I pray mm. to him, that sends the message. When I read his Bible, I receive the answer. Yes. And now look, I'm not saying he speaks to me in a booming voice. I'm saying that his answers are in the Bible. And you know what? You, you said it before. You alluded to the prosperity gospel, where if, if you follow the gospel, good things will come your way. Now, I don't 100% um, subscribe to that. Sometimes things get worse. Yeah. Uh, just, just like what happened with the disciples in the early days of the church. But what I do believe is the Bible was written based on fundamental truths in nature. I believe the world was written with fundamental truths into it. For example, a man must be with a woman. For example, that you should walk truthfully. Uh, you should, you know, and, you know, Jordan Peterson touches on a lot of these rules and he articulates these rules of nature in his book, 12 Rules for Life. Mm. Now, the reason why... Um, people might, you know, be successful because of by they follow the gospel, or they follow these rules, and they walk in a very upright sort of way, is because these rules are written into nature, and the Bible is just those on the paper. So when, for example, I say to, um, let's say I've had a fight with someone, and I have a pray with God, and I say, God, I'm really upset. I had this fight with someone. Can you please help me to? do the right thing and move forward with this. And, you know, I might read the Bible and I might read the verse, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Mm. I might, I might 
be like, oh crap, maybe I should send a, an apologetic verse to this person so I can sleep well. Um, and also, but obviously be genuine, of course. Um, mm. And uh, and put it and put it behind you. See, there's nothing that that that's another thing. Uh, you know, a rule for everyone in life. Don't hold the grudge. It 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 takes too much effort. You if you burn a bridge, you'll never know when you need to come back to that bridge again. Sometimes mm. it might be your last bridge that you need. Yeah, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, I recall getting a reference from um, somebody who I actually almost wanted to cuss out. But I bit my tongue, swallowed my pride. Um, I was a bit younger and hot-headed at that point in my time. But, you know, that ended up being a very valuable connection. Um, but I want to go back to what you said. I love what you said. You're like, God is my mate. Because I, I have fun when I pray. You know, I feel like sometimes when I'm praying, you know, it's not like, like you said, it's not like this audible voice speaking back at you. But there's something just, just so clear about praying. Like you say how you're feeling. You tell God how you're feeling. And you just get the sense like, yeah, he knows. And he's there. And he's like, yeah, everything is good. Everything is cool. But I want to ask you this because, um, you know, you said you grew up with a Christian background, but when did you actually start your relationship with Jesus? Because you mentioned, it's sorry, I, I, I realized I didn't finish leading there, but yeah, no. When did no, you start your right. relationship I with you. Jesus? I, I got the gist. <laughs> um, it's hard to pinpoint. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've always been, you know, my, my Christian family, we've always had the, the very, the very strongly Christian. Um, and they, they, you know, we've always had the conversations in the home. I mean, ever since I was in like year five or year six, I remember sitting down on beanbags, having conversations with my, my parents and we'd read a few chapters of the Bible a night. The reason we did it was not only to learn the Bible because me and my brother were terrible at, at reading. <laughs> um, so that was, and, and it really helped us. Um, but look, it's really hard. It's really hard to say. But uh, in terms of when did things really start to ramp up, I'd say it was then. Maybe when I was about year five, year six. Mm. Um, by the time I was in year eight, I was going to Bible studies at night with dad, and we we wouldn't be doing the the easy stuff, the gospel stuff. I'd been doing that my whole life in junior school. Um, mm. The the stories of Jesus and the different um, you know teachings he did, but. Uh, no, I did. Um, we were doing revelations and we were doing, you know, a bunch of a bunch of different, you know, difficult sort of topics, the Old Testament, which a lot of people try to stay away from. Mm. And um, no, I, I, I've been I've been at it for a little while now. And, you know, I, I mean, that, I guess the peak of that was in 2017 when I was leading. I was literally leading about three Bible studies and also being a member of two others, um, which was a massive year. But um but look, I, I, I also work with the Sydney Institute for Christian Studies and uh, do lectures with them, which has been really great in the past few years. It's been a bit more quiet now, a bit more politics mm. now. But um, now this stuff, stays, it's, this stuff stays with you. I mean, you don't lose mm. these lessons. Yeah. And for yourself, did you have a time when you questioned your faith? Yeah, all the time. All the time. All I the mean, time. It's a ro- I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a rock. But... Um, you if you if you, you wouldn't call it faith if you didn't question it right mm. um it, it's there's an element of um sometimes you see things and you're like maybe i am wrong on this and then and you just you're just sort of humbled by it and you sort of go back you try to work it out but then it always comes back to this i'm a better person because of my relationship with this invisible thing how does that make any sense? 
there's something mm. there and i think most people know it i mean the the world is a blip in the universe there's nothing else like it i mean god's made this massive playground for us this universe uh to keep us entertained and there's so much subject material to to keep us entertained mm. and we really do feel like we're at the center of the universe yet we also feel so insignificant compared to the vast expansion of the universe mm. and other universes too i mean we're, we're also finding out that there's multiple dimensions which is insane yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of insane things about this universe and like people are people will say like well what do you think like what heaven is like what you think you believe in this thing you get rewarded in your life what's heaven i, I kind of have this idea and it's kind of painted in the bible that you know where that those who are saved are coming back to rule with jesus not just on this earth but on the new heaven and the new earth and i think that reads out to me like you know our eternity potentially is going to be spent exploring this wonderful universe. Yeah, you might be right. I don't Maybe. know. Whatever it is, uh, whatever it is, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, <laughs> there's no more. There's no more crying, and there's no more death. That's uh, that's not a bad deal. No more progressive leftists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I sorry. Mean, that's a that's a horrible comment. I hope that. Um, <laughs> I hope any that progressive they join leftists our ranks. are not saved. <laughs> yes. No. 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 We want we want everybody to join. We want everybody to join. Um, we have think, enemies, but we love our enemies. <laughs> no, you know, that's a very powerful thing. The Bible tells you to pray for your enemy. Um, yeah. And to really be a Christian that believes in the Bible, to understand the power of life and death being in your tongue, to have people that are your enemies or you think are your enemies and to pray for them. Um, I think that's a very, very powerful idea. And, it, you know, the Bible even tells us our enemy isn't flesh and blood. It's with the powers and principalities in the air. And, you know, I was kind of saying before, maybe sort of we're in the end times. I don't think we're fully in the end times. I think maybe we're at a time where there could be a lot of change. It could set up something like what's described in the Bible there. But I guess one of the things that we might be fall victim to on earth, which I kind of believe to be true, is that there, there is war going on in the heavens. And as the spiritual warfare plays out in the physical realm, and I think sometimes when there is bad things happening on earth, um, part of that is a manifestation of the spiritual warfare when there is evils in certain areas, like what you were explaining about those camps in China, that there's something spiritual about that. There's like a, something, there's some, something like evil spiritual wise that's like allowing that to happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, there's a bunch of different things that are going around on around the, uh, the world and uh, there is a spiritual nature to it. I mean, you, as you said, it's, your struggle is not against flesh, it's against principalities and uh of the dark realm and um these are things that uh well you will not uh, you know you will not be overcome by them you know that you will overcome them because you have the greatest power of all and that's through jesus and uh and him overcoming death and mm -hmm. uh, and that's the most powerful weapon you can have that in the bible um the word being your sword and that's why it's so important we secure it in uh, mm -hmm. religious freedom for example yeah our ability uh, to quote the bible yeah and that's something i, I really need to read my bible more because i would like to have more quotability to it but every time i read it i'm like amazed like i'll read like two verses i'm just like i'm ready i'm like oh wow like incredible but do you do you, know you what do you do you read do you um re read your uh say your lord's prayer very often I don't say it often enough. Like I go through phases. Like I'm one of those, I'm one of those Christians that get stuck in, stuck in phases. Like I'll have times yeah. where like I'm praying all the time. I'll have times where I'm not. 
And I definitely know the difference in my life when I'm praying mm. and when I'm not. But mm. I almost always get the sense that like God's always out there looking after me. I, I never yeah. feel like he's not, which is something incredible. And it's something quite indescribable. And I guess the hardest thing about being a Christian trying to explain something that doesn't believe is like the experience of God and yeah. the way that when you know it's him, it's him. And it's not, like I said, it's not like an audible voice, but just the way things play, play out, the way there's just confirmation coming from all different sides, you know, the way you just read the Bible, exactly what you needed at that right time. Yeah, man. I'd strongly recommend you read at least a chapter. And I, I mean, if you're wondering where the hell do I start, just start from the gospel, man. Mm. Start from the gospel. If you get to hit the genealogy where it starts saying all these names, just skip that. Um, no, you can come back to that later, but uh, yeah. just start reading a chapter. And I'll tell you why I mentioned the Lord's Prayer, because um, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, you know, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> our daily bread, our daily bread is the word of God. Mm. So if you're, not, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're not taking your daily bread, then <laughs> what do you expect is going to happen? I found, I found there's almost a correlation between um, when I've been consistently reading my Bible and praying to God before I sleep and not only getting a good sleep, but also um, just things, it's, I can't explain that things tend to pan out how I really want them to. When I, Cause you know, there's, there's these verses in the Bible which say lay your plans out to God and you'll see them eventuate, you know, it, even though it might not be exactly how you wanted them to be often mm -hmm. it ends up being better just give it a try. You've got nothing to lose. Yeah. If, if there's anyone that's listening. I'm forever fascinated by the Lord's prayer. Um, no, cause it is a really fascinating one. Like give us this day, our daily bread. So you said the word of God. And I, I now think about that now. I agree with you. I kind of translated that to my mind as like, give me what I need. But this idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think, you know, the Bible says, I think Jesus says might be in John. I could be very wrong but it's like ask for anything in the name of the father. And if it is his will, then it will be done. And I think where a lot of people might get caught up is where they're praying for something that never happens because it never pans out the way it was supposed to. In the name of the because son. I've got to, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to correct you on that. It's the name of the son. Name of the son. Okay. And you, you pray to the, you pray to the father. And it's in the name of the Son. Why do? Why is that such an important distinction? Well, God is a is a triune God as we know Him. Being a Trinity, there's three parts to Him: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father is the guy up there. The Son is your ticket to talk to the guy, and the Holy Spirit is the thing that gets it done. That's mm -hmm. why it's an important distinction. If you, if I found that if you really I mean, it's hard, look, it's hard, obviously this stuff is hard to track. It's not exactly scientific. This is faith we're talking about here. Mm. But if, if I found that when I, there's a bit, it's very important when you're, when you're praying to God, the Father, to say, Heavenly Father, I need help with this. In the name of Jesus Christ, can you please help me with this? That's important. Mm. Uh, and it shouldn't be understated. But look up the verse. Look up the verse tonight because I know you'll read your, your ch chapter tonight, won't you? Yeah. Do you know, do you know, do you have, do you know the reference for it? I, I, I feel like it's in the book of John because there's a similar statement throughout the, throughout the different gospels. Cause like I have read the new Testament front to back, but obviously I haven't read it front to back enough to be quite as versed in it as well. I'd like to be. Um, I think, I think you should definitely uh, look it up uh, <laughs> and, and, and work it out, but now look, absolutely check it, check it for sure. I mean, it's, it, this is important stuff we're talking about, isn't it?
I think, I think it is because ultimately I think that's what's going to lead us out from this. And I think, you know, in the way I said that this is spiritual warfare, you know, with how crazy everything's been in 2020, right? You, you might say, okay, so that's an attack from the enemy. But I think that what could be on the next roll is, you know, if there's a move of the enemy, there's going to be a move of God. And I think we might be about to see a real big movement of God. I definitely know be paying attention to YouTube. I've been getting into a lot more um, Christian YouTubers lately and just seeing some of their channels blow up. And I'm like, oh yeah, God's ready to, God's ready to have a show. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, YouTube is such a valuable resource. And uh, I mean, coming back to what you said before that, that verse, I actually did find it. Um, oh yeah. It's uh, it's John 14, 13 to 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that, so that the father may be glorified. You may, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So that was Jesus that said that basically Mm -hmm. saying, you know, whatever you ask in my name so that the father may give it to you basically. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's, that's, that's the sequence praying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, look, I I think that was sort of nice because I think we kind of, ended there on a positive note but look what i might get you to do because i feel like you know your bible a bit better than me um and look i didn't mean for this to maybe just be necessarily an overly religious talk but look just for anybody listening what is the gospel like if somebody wanted to start their relationship with christ now what what would you say the gospel is the answer the answer to everything really I mean, it's uh, the, the gospel is the first four books of the New Testament. The New Testament is what Christians pretty much read. Um, the Old Testament is what the Jews read. Now, the first book, four books, the gospel is the story of Jesus when he was on earth and what he got up to. And uh, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, some of them cover similar sort of grounds and a lot of them have similar sort of stories. Uh, like Jesus feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000 that comes up a couple of times. And so there's, there is some repeating, but what it shows is that there's, um, there's, there's sort of credibility because they cover it from different angles. Those they're named after the disciples, some of the disciples that were with Jesus. And mm-hmm. so the gospel sort of gives you an insight into the most important part of the whole Bible, the old and the new Testament, which is when Jesus killed himself on a cross, he gave himself up. Uh, for the good of the people and uh, and he he did it for everyone he did it for the sinners he did it for those that hate him but he loves all of them and um, once he did that he paid the debt for your sins so that you may if you accept it in your heart and that's between you and god and you guys can know that um, you may be allowed into heaven and uh, and and look that that's the struggle of life the struggle of life is living because when if someone if someone dies for you, think think about this practically. If your brother died for you, and he lived a certain standard in his life, and he gave up, let's say who knows, let's say he jumped in front of a car and pushed you out of the way or something, he died. Don't you think it's you owe it to him to live a certain standard? Because all of a sudden you're living for both of you. You're living for the life that was lost. So you can't waste your life. That is similarly what's happened mm. with Jesus, except he's actually got the power to forgive sins because he's the son of God. He was innocent when he was put on the cross. He did nothing wrong except speak the truth. And because he's the, the blemishless lamb, the lamb that is clean, the white lamb, um, he, 
he was able to do that sacrifice. And that look, that sacrifice, it makes a lot more sense. It made a lot more sense to the Jews back then because that they that's how they used to um, absolve their sins. It was by doing sacrificing a a, a lamb or a uh, uh, a ram or, or a, a goat. Um, that's that's how they did these things. Different calves and the, the sacrificial. They used to sacrifice the blood every year. Or the high priest would sacrifice <laughs> it for on the Ark of the Covenant in the high temple. But their temple's been destroyed for a very long time, and uh, they didn't recognize that Jesus is actually the Messiah who was prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament mm-hmm. of the Jewish book. Um, they were prophesied that he'd come, and he came, and he fulfilled all of their prophecies, things like him walking in on a donkey uh, on Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. and uh, and they were, they were blinded. They never um, realized that uh, he was actually the one they were waiting for. So they'll still be waiting. They'll still be waiting for this guy, but he already came two thousand years ago. And you know, it's interesting to say that they were blinded because I suppose the hardest thing to stand for is the truth, because everybody's blinded by it, even when it's right there in front of them. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a great verse um, in the in the Bible comes up a couple of times where he's basically talking about the Jews. And they say, because when, when the Jews gave Jesus up, you know, Pontius Pilate, the Roman that was in charge, he said, this guy's done nothing wrong. I don't see why we should be executing. What did the Jew, Jewish crowds say? They said, you know, we give us Barabbas, you know, kill mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, let his death be upon us and our children. Now, I see that as a generational curse. So now what we see now what we see is we see a situation where the Jewish people they're ever made blind by the fact that they, they just can't recognize that Jesus was actually the one they're waiting for and the, the 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 thing is there's some great verses in the New Testament which say that the you know it alludes to the Jews they will be ever seeing but never perceiving perceiving ever hearing but never understanding Mm. even though the fact that it's right in front of their face. That's, that's very, very interesting what you say there. And isn't there um, a particular verse in the chapter? It might be somewhere in chapter 53 of Isaiah that literally describes um, how Jesus came and how he was rejected as Messiah by his people as well. And I think, I think it's known as like the banned verse in the Torah. Like it's the don't talk about it verse because um, it like fits the description of Jesus that well. Is that the one where he says today the um, the scripture is fulfilled? Is that the one? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I, I've come across this. I've come across this idea before. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, look, probably, back, it's probably right. Getting back to what you were saying just earlier, um, you know, you were saying if somebody died for you, you know, what kind of standard would you be on? Well, another verse I love from the Bible is "Greater love hath no man than a man that lay down his life for his friends." And as you were saying, like God is your mate. And that's what God did. You know, the son, Jesus, incarnated on earth, died for our sins so that we may be forgiven, but not just so we can be forgiven, but so we can have communion with God so that we can be made God's friend. And he showed us the greatest act of love that we did not deserve. And that's a free gift that any of us can access. But it, it takes, you know, that first it takes that leap of faith, but also I think the biggest thing for a lot of people is humility to admit you're wrong 
to admit you're a sinner, to admit you need forgiveness, to admit that you're not going to be a good enough person to get into heaven. Because I think the way the Bible describes it is you never do enough good works to get into heaven. You never do enough evil, um, or I guess enough evil either to, I guess, keep you from heaven either. I guess it's the idea that you need to get your heart right with God and that he's the one that could forgive. Um, yeah. So not, yeah, yeah what's the saying? No amount right. of evil can send you to hell and no amount of good can get you into heaven. It's by faith. Yeah. By faith, by faith alone, you are justified. And look, mm. this is this is the, this is the thing. Find me the God that um, of another religion that killed himself for his followers. You won't mm. find it. You won't find it. So automatically, that separates Christianity from the other religions. Makes mm. it very special. And as well as that, you know, not just the idea of this physical death, but I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but. I, isn't part of the idea that when he died on the cross for our sins, he took upon the wrath of God for us because God, you know, had to unleash his wrath. And so he took on that. He took on the pain of all of our sins, which is why he's there praying beforehand saying, if there'd be any other way, but there wasn't, there was only that way. Yeah. I mean, even when he's on the cross, God's, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you looking away from me? It's because he he had all the sins of me and, you and everyone on his shoulders and uh, God couldn't look at him because he looked absolutely hideous. And he came to earth to do that for us, knowing the exact suffering that he was going to go through and the humiliation and the mockery that he was going to be put through, you know, his own people didn't accept him. Like, you know, there's a lot of depth to the story of Jesus. And I guess, you know, if you really wanted to get into it, you could speak about it for hours, but I think we've actually found a positive note. And it might actually be a good one to end on. Um, did you have any other thoughts just that you wanted to get out there, you know, just while we're here finishing up on anything we've spoken about? Well, none that I can speak of. It's just to uh, walk in truth, you know, try to be the best person every day. Try to try to better yourself um, and improve yourself. But the best mm-hmm. advice I can give you, don't, don't rest on your laurels. You need to um, always remember to keep improving yourself and be courageous don't just focus on yourself. Once you work on yourself, you need to also spread that to your immediate family and uh, respectfully. And of course your community. Otherwise, what's the point? It's just like that verse I mentioned before, you know, faith is great, but you know, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to demonstrate that. And I think that's, that's one of the problems with our churches nowadays. But I think what we can do is we can show some courage and uh, show the courage of our convictions really. Mm. and it's hard i guess it's hard to really keep our convictions as well you know i mean we're ever living in a world that's moving away from you know some of the more traditional views that we might hold as christians and you know it's like it will actually take courage to hold on to that um but joel look thank you very much um what is next for you and where can the people find you you can follow me on facebook that's the best way to do it and send me a friend request uh, you can also follow me on YouTube. I'm, le- I'm way less active on there, but I do upload interviews every now and then on there. But uh, Facebook, I have rolling 24-hour CNN-like coverage, <laughs> but it's just 100 times more uh, reliable than CNN. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really enjoying your coverage. Uh, it's been absolutely great. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming on. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, for all the listeners, make sure you go check out Joel. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to future episodes. If you've got any questions, if you've got anything that you'd like to address, leave it in the comments. Um, 
share this with anybody else that you think could benefit from this conversation because I think it's going to be a conversation that helps us to empower ourselves. It helps us to empower others. And it's how we're going to move the world forward. And, you know, we're living in a COVID world. There's not too much we can do. So conversation is one of the most important things. That's why I'm so happy and grateful and blessed to have been able to sit here and have this conversation with you, Joel. So thank you. And I think, yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks, Zach. Cheers. Hey, you. Yeah, you. What are you doing here at the very end of the episode? You must have enjoyed the show. Well, considering that you're still here and you enjoyed the show so much, make sure that you subscribe for future episodes, share this with somebody else who will enjoy it, and make sure you give it a rating and a review on whatever platform you have listened to this on. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. That is all. I am out. See you in the next.